Our scripture reading this morning comes from the fourth chapter of the book of Ruth. The text is actually uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, but that required a sermon that was too long to preach in one sitting. So we did the first half of the sermon through the uh, first half of verse 11 the last time I was here, and Lord willing, we're going to finish that sermon this morning. We're going to look at the second half of verse 11 through 17. The first part of the text was all about redemption and how Ruth in particular experienced redemption through Boaz and then as we'll see how Boaz and Ruth are the vehicles of Naomi's redemption. Well, redemption results in praise. Redemption results in blessing, blessing for people, blessing for God. And that's the focus of our text this morning. So let's all give careful attention to the public reading of God's Word as it's found in Ruth chapter 4, beginning in the second half of verse 11. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he had made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And may the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth, and was called us to engage in the study of that word. Father, we pray that you would grant your spirit to sweeten this part of your word in our hearts and in our minds that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, that we might honor you more along the path of life. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who together with you and the Holy Spirit reign, one God forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, as I mentioned, this part of the story is... uh, a story of redemption, and it's a story of blessing. We've seen in the first part of this chapter how the author piled up that word redeem, 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 and we saw the whole process uh, of Ruth being redeemed by Boaz. And redemption results in blessing, and this chap- the, uh, the rest of this part of the story really focuses our attention on blessing. It's going to start with b- pronouncing blessing over people. 
And then it's going to move from there to pronouncing blessing on the name of God. And then it's going to return to pronouncing blessing on people once again. But it's that thread of blessing in response to redemption that holds this text together. So let's look at those three movements. The text starts with blessing people. And of course, the first person to be blessed is Ruth. Let's look at uh, verse 11. Notice that it says, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. In, in, in ancient Israel, people would often pronounce blessings on other people. And uh, that's what we have here. They're, they're, they're praying a blessing over Ruth that she would be like Rachel and Leah. We have to ask ourselves the question, uh, why Rachel and Leah? Why is Ruth the Moabitess becoming a matriarch, uh, being set aside these great women of the book of Genesis? Well, I've got to go back to that slight problem that the text raises for us that I don't have a full solution to, but we see part of the solution here. Remember that in the book of Deuteronomy, God says that a Moabite is not permitted to enter the congregation of Israel, not even for ten generations. And now what we have in the book of Ruth is a Moabite entering in to the congregation of Israel. That's a problem. Uh, Especially if the book of Ruth was written much later than the story itself took place in history. If it's written in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, because in those days, explicitly, there were marriages between Israelites and Moabites, and the people of God were dissolving those Moabite marriages because they contravened Deuteronomy. So that's a problem. And as I said the last time I preached, I don't have a full solution. But the people in the text are also aware that it's a problem, and they're somewhat addressing it even obliquely. Why the mention of Rachel and Leah? Well, Rachel and Leah were daughters. They were daughters of Laban. Laban was an idolater. Do you remember when Jacob was bringing Rachel back? Laban was upset. And why was Laban upset? He was upset because someone had stolen his household gods. Who stole those gods? Rachel did because she wanted them for herself. And so father comes calling, and what does she do? She has them under the cushion where she's sitting and says, please uh, spare me, father. I'm on my period and I can't get up. And so she's covering so that he can't find the idols that she is taking with her from her household. Remember, we looked last time at the fact that the book of Ruth teaches us, through Ruth, that we all have a past. Remember? We all have a past, and that past influences us. But that past does not control us any longer because we're new creation in Christ. It may influence us, but it does not determine our present or our future. The truth will set you free. Once again, we see in this story our past. 
the, the people in Bethlehem were aware that they come from a bunch of idolaters. Remember the book of Joshua when Joshua was renewing the covenant at the end of the book. Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the idols of our ancestors where Abraham came from? Are you going to serve the idols of the land of Canaan? But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. The people in the story of Ruth were aware of their past. And it has to be intentional that somehow this is mollifying the tension that we feel with Boaz marrying Ruth. Because the people aren't going to be so quick to judge in that situation knowing who their matriarchs were. Their matriarchs were idolaters at the beginning. And it was through those idolaters that God brought into the covenant community that he did wonderful things in the history of redemption. And it's through Ruth that God is going to do the most wonderful of all things in the history of redemption, and that is bring the Lord Jesus. But we have to wait till that final sermon on the genealogy before we get there. Why does the book end with a genealogy? Seems like so anticlimactic. But there's a, there are some wonderful lessons for us out of that genealogy. Once a Moabite, now a matriarch. That's the power of the gospel. There's another similar woman. You know of her probably. Her name is Rahab. Uh, Rahab once a prostitute, a Canaanite prostitute, now part of the people of God and in the very lineage of Ruth and the Lord Jesus. The power of the gospel that is able to take all of us with our past, whatever it looks like, and transform us into new creation so that we have a vital role to play in the larger story of redemption. And in fact, uh, you know, in, in the ancient world, in, in ancient Israel, for a number of theological reasons, sons had a preferential place. We see this in the fact that in general, women didn't inherit the land sons did. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a son? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have seven sons? Seven's a number of perfection. Well, how about having a daughter-in-law who, as the text says, is better? Not better than one son. Not better than five sons. She's better than the perfection of seven sons. And who is she? Ruth the Moabite. This not only touches our own hearts in terms of how we view ourselves, but as it was intended in that original setting in Bethlehem, the text is inviting us to open our eyes to who our Moabites might be. Those people that we are just kind of naturally going to hold at arm's length those people who we are going to write off as being the outsiders that couldn't possibly amount to anything in terms of eternal matters. God's just inviting us to realize that often the way he works is to take the most unlikely of people and do things in their lives 
to bring about transformation in the lives of many others. Uh, I probably have shared some of my testimony with you over the years. I won't take any time uh, to go into any detail, only to say that when I was getting out of high school, nobody in my high school class would have ever believed that I would be a Ph.D., in a Christian higher education institution, a Presbyterian minister. Trust me, nobody would ever have thought that of me or my best friend who is a PhD and a professor in a Christian higher education institution and a Presbyterian minister. We were the kids that everybody wrote off. But, the, God, but the, the, the arm of God is not too short that it cannot save. And part of what we see in Ruth is God's invitation to be open to what the gospel can do in the most unlikely lives and through the most unlikely ways. I'm going to say a little bit more about this in a moment. But we see this wonderful blessing on Ruth. May she be like Rachel and Leah, who built up the house of Israel. See, remember what blessing is. When God blesses people, the key word is empower. When God blesses people, he empowers them to experience an abundant life. And in the book of Genesis, the two most dominant themes when God blesses people is he empowers people to produce children and he empowers people to produce wealth. And so when they're pronouncing this blessing on on Ruth, notice what they're doing. They're saying, may she be like Rachel and Leah who built up. In other words, may God give her the power of life so that she can produce children through whom children are going to be produced, through whom the kingdom of God is going to come and God's will is going to be done. The blessing on Ruth. Well, then we get a blessing in that same verse on Boaz. As the people bless Boaz, they say to him, may you have standing. Uh, The word that is translated standing here is a word that we've seen. It only occurs here in two other places in the book of Ruth. It occurs in that phrase, Eshet Chayil, where we saw that uh, that Ruth was a, a woman of noble character. It also occurs in reference to Boaz when we saw that Ruth was a, uh, that Boaz was a man of noble character. When, when this text is saying, may you have standing, I think really what it's saying is, may the children that are produced through you and through Ruth, may they be produced in your likeness. This, this character that you have, this character that Ruth has, may, may that character be produced in the next generation. May we have a lot of little Ruths and Boazes running around, because that's what we need. Remember that this book starts by saying that this all took place in the days when the judges judged. That was a time of horrific chaos in Israel, moral chaos, social chaos, religious chaos, What did the people of God need? Well, they need a king, and the king is going to come through Ruth. They needed righteous covenant people. Remember that that reversal in the previous chapter comes through the righteous acts of Ruth and Boaz. 
May you have standing. May you produce children in your likeness. And it says, may you be famous. And now we come to something interesting. May your house be like that of Perez. Why mention Perez? And why specifically tell us that this, this Perez is the son of Tamar and Judah? Well, the presumption is we know the earlier stories in the Bible. The presumption is that we know that Perez is a son of incest. Tamar and Judah was an incestuous relationship that produced Perez. And so you see, Perez, kind of like, in a different way, Rachel and Leah. May Ruth be like Rachel and Leah, women who were idolaters, brought into the covenant community. Boaz, may your house be like the house of Perez. Remember the kid that was born through an incestuous relationship? Well, certainly if he was born through an incestuous relationship, how could he amount to anything? Once again, we see that the the people in Bethlehem are aware of their past. They're aware not only of the bright side of their past, they're aware of the dark side of their past. And they're aware that even though there was that dark side, the Rachels and the Leahs and the Perezes, Judah having an incestuous relationship with Tamar because he had failed to have his other son take care of his uh, kinsman-redeemer responsibilities. It was a mess. And look at the beauty that God brought out of that mess. Again, I do not have an explanation for how it was really okay for Boaz to marry Ruth the Moabite. Uh, When you figure it out, you email me, let me know, and I'll incorporate it into the next time I preach on Ruth. But as for now, uh, I don't have any answer for it. But it is very clear that the author of the book is aware of that tension as the people of God were. And they just are, they're they're confronting, they're confronting an infinite God who is incomprehensible, whose ways are not our ways, and uh, whose thoughts are not our thoughts, and who can even take the darkness of our sin and turn it to the transformation of lives in his own glory. So what shall we say? Shall we sin all the more that God's grace might abound? And what would Paul say? God forbid. No, this is not intended to justify us in our darkness. It is to elevate in our mind's eye the grandeur and the glory of God. So that no matter what obstacle you may be facing in life where it's not possible, no matter what the tensions are, You might not be in your thinking and in your faith controlled by what the physical eye can see, but what the spiritual eye can see through the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in terms of who God is and what God is able to do. With God, all things are possible. There's nothing in your life or in the lives of people around you that cannot be transformed even if God does it sometimes in a way that we can't quite figure out. 
Uh, I've often uh, quoted R.C. Sproul. It just comes to my own heart and mind so often. Uh, If we could understand everything there was to understand about God, either he would be or we wouldn't be. And so the text here confronts us with some mystery. I don't know. God knows. Uh, I do know that this points us to a God who is great in his power of transformation. So we have the blessing of people in terms of blessing Ruth and blessing Boaz. And then we turn to the blessing of the Lord. Uh, Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he had made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. So why was the child born? Was the child born because of human activity or was the child born because of divine activity? Yes. You see once again how the Bible portrays human responsibility and divine sovereignty as parallel railroad tracks that in our eye never touch, but in God's economy they're undergirded by these hidden railroad ties so that we're fully responsible and God is fully sovereign. But the people realized that the only reason why Ruth was able to conceive was because of the power of God. Remember, all of the matriarchs in the book of Genesis have one thing in common. What's the one thing they all have in common? They're all barren. All the matriarchs are barren until God intervenes and grants them that blessing, the power of life to produce children. And so they are blessing the Lord by confessing that the Lord is the one who enabled her to conceive and give birth to a son. And they in fact say, well, they say depending on your translation. I'm reading the NIV this morning and it says, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord. So the NIV says, praise be to the Lord. If you're reading in an NASB or an ESV, or if you're reading a real Bible, if you have the king in your presence, then you're reading something like, blessed be the Lord. So New Living Translation, NIV, praise be to the Lord. NASB, ESV, KJV, blessed be the Lord. Here's where we confront that Italian saying translated into English that the translator is a traitor. It's it's a difficult task to translate because to translate means to say the same thing in other words in a different language. Uh, The Hebrew word here is well represented, for example, by the ESV, bless. Because we have this thing that we've talked about probably a number of years ago. In Genesis, God blesses us. That is, he empowers us for abundant life. But then we turn around and bless God as we did this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The strength of the ESV here is it's using one word in English, bless, because there's one word in Hebrew. But the strength of the ESV is its weakness. We just don't speak that way. 
The, um, the news reporter doesn't say, did you hear how they were blessing LeBron James after the game? <laughs> it's just not the way we speak. And as Reformed people, from the days of the Reformation on, we've been committed to putting the Bible into the language of the people, and using the word blessed is not putting the Bible in the language of the people. So is the ESV good? Well, yes, it's good because it captures that God blesses us, we bless Him. Is it good? Well, it's not so good because it's using a word that is not ordinary English. So the NIV... The NIV is good. Did you hear how they were praising LeBron James? We all know what that means, yes? That's just ordinary English. That's the strength of the ESV. But the strength of the, e- of the, of the NIV. But the strength of the NIV is its weakness. Because it has disconnected this idea that when God blesses us, we respond by blessing God because it's using a different word. The translator is a traitor. So if neither the ESV nor the NIV get it, what's the solution? Somebody help me here. Thank you. Learn Hebrew. (laughs) And um, as David mentioned, they're uh, putting an MA online for counseling. Uh, I already have a Hebrew curriculum online. You can just do it from your living room with your cup of coffee in Vero Beach. That's either now or heaven. Take your pick. So they not only, see, the people are celebrating. They're celebrating God's redemption. And they're celebrating God's redemption by pronouncing blessing on the name of people like Ruth and Boaz. And they're celebrating by pronouncing blessing on the name of God. Which goes back to that thing we've talked about as well. Is the Bible about us or is it about God? Yes. Uh, it won't do to say it's not about you, it's about God. It's about us and it's about God. Jesus in John 10 did not say, I have come to glorify the Father. That's true, he did that. But in John 10 he says, I have come so that you might have abundant life. Redemption is about you for the glory of God. The Ten Commandments, the first is about God. The second half is about you. The Lord's Prayer, the first half is about God. The second half is about you. God is covenantal. I will be your God. You will be my people. And so as they celebrate, they're blessing people. And they're blessing God. And then at the end they come back to bless one more person. Look at verse 14. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. This guardian redeemer is not Boaz. Because notice who's spoken of. May he become famous throughout Israel. As Boaz would become famous, may this kinsman redeemer become famous. What's he going to do? He will renew and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you... Uh, than seven sons has given him birth. Uh, This kinsman redeemer is Obed. Uh, Obed is the one who is now being blessed. Uh, Remember, it's hard for us to feel what it was like for Naomi. The best we can do, going way back to the beginning of the book when Naomi was emptied, is to take like a 70-year-old woman Uh, who is a widow, who has no bank account, who has no credit card, who has no health insurance, 
who has uh, no automobile, no automobile insurance, no place to live, who has no 403B, who has absolutely nothing. That was Naomi when she was emptied. And now God has just filled her up, and in particular, through this Obed, this kinsman redeemer. Notice, he will be the one to renew your life. He's, he is your medical insurance. He is your home. He is your security. He's your retirement account. He's your social security. He is everything that you need. Isn't God wonderful? It, it was a very circuitous route, wasn't it? It surely had its ups and downs. It had its times when Naomi was saying, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord is against me. Uh, and now it is, praise the Lord for his provision uh, for me. His name is Obed. We've seen how every name in the book of Ruth is theologically significant. Elimelech, my God is king, but he doesn't live up to that. He leaves the presence of his king and he dies. Machlon, sick, he dies. Chilion, comes to nothing, he dies. Naomi, pleasantness, but then for a while in her journey she became Mara, bitter. But now she's back to Naomi. Orpah, stiff-necked. Ruth, the friend who sticks closer than a sister. Mr. No-Name, he, the guy that has no name because he has no covenant character. And now we come to the final name, and his name is Obed. And Obed means servant. Uh, Avad means serve. Oved is one who serves. And here is the one who is going to serve Naomi for the length of her days. Obed, servant, caretaker, provider. Everything that Naomi needs is right there in her arms. And remember, even though we call it the book of Ruth, it's really Naomi's story. It's the story of Naomi being emptied, Naomi being filled. And so the women say, Naomi has a son, Obed, the one who will care for her for the rest of her days. Uh, And in this little baby, she saw, and the Bible invites us to see as well, God's provision for us. In Obed, Naomi saw that while it seemed for a time that God was against her and had dealt bitterly with her, even though she couldn't understand the ins and the outs, now with that 2020 hindsight, she sees how God has been at work in it all, and she sees the beauty of God's provision in Obed. And so the Bible invites us to see as well God's provision for us, in particular in giving us that Christmas child. Christmas is just around the corner, by the way. Isn't that kind of a scary thought? I probably just sinned by mentioning it in September. But but I say that because I'm already starting to think about what I'm going to be preaching in December. But God really has provided you everything that you need for life and godliness in Jesus. 
Jesus came and was born of a virgin Mary. You know all the matriarchs who had trouble conceiving? Mary had no trouble conceiving, did she? Because that which she conceived, she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the virgin birth, we have the first declaration that redemption from the curse is here. And this Jesus lived the perfect life of righteousness in your place. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of your sins. He was raised for your justification. He ascended to the Father's right hand where he's praying for you that you would make it all the way home. And he's coming again in power and great glory to bring concretely the fullness of his redemption. But you already have, as the Bible says, a down payment of that, a deposit of that, a foretaste of that in the gift of the Spirit that the Father and the Son has poured out so generously into your hearts. We, we read this morning from Psalm uh, 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. And that psalm goes on to say, He forgives all of your sins and He heals all of your diseases. We're not Gnostics. We don't have a, a, a spiritualized understanding that, that it's the inner that matters and, and the body and the relationships and finances are of no consequence. God made all of you. Jesus is Lord of all of you. And the Father sent the Son to redeem everything about you. And you can taste some of it now. You will have the fullness in the life to come. But it's yours now. The redemption you can begin to experience now wherever you might need it, just as Naomi held that little baby in her arms. She didn't hold an idea. She held a redeemer. And in that redeemer, she had everything that she needed. And in Jesus, you have everything that you need. And so as we, as we look at this Obed, we see God's provision for us. And it must be the Westminster training, because I'm going to come back to what David said at the very beginning. We see not only God's provision for us, but we also see God's provision through us. David talked about uh, 2 Corinthians 1 and how God comforts us so that we can comfort others. And in Obed, God invites us to open our eyes in the six days that lie ahead to say, where are the Naomi's in our lives? How is God going to be working in ways that I don't even expect? That I might be that Obed. Or to put it another way, that I might be Christ. That I might be Christ, the channel of God's love and God's mercy into the lives of people who are empty in one way or another. How has God filled me that I might be able to share that filling with others? The gospel is about what God does for us. And the gospel is about what we do for others as we respond to the gospel of grace that has come so freely into our lives. And so in the next six days, may the Holy Spirit just grant us the ability to to see and to experience Jesus as our Redeemer where we need Him, even while we wait for the perfection of that experience in the life to come. And may the Holy Spirit also give us eyes to see those Naomi's that are all around us, to whom we can be an Obed, for their good, 
for his glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, strengthen and grow our faith in you because we have looked into this part of your word. You've promised that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so as we've reflected on this word, uh, increase and grow our faith. And grant that it might be a living faith that demonstrates itself in how we live out our lives and how we look to be channels of that grace and faith into the lives of other people uh, until we meet again. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who together with you and the Holy Spirit reigns one God forever and ever. Amen.